Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction in the Lord. So, so Pastor Shane is traveling today. So you've got the two Chris's uh, up here. Funny story, uh, when Pastor Shane asked me to speak on Father's Day, in my mind it wasn't unlike Mother's Day or Memorial Day where I do a little something with announcements. So it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that we were talking a little more about today's service that he reminded me that he was actually going to be in Kansas and that Brother Chris McWilliams and I would be speaking in his place so I'm sure there's a sermon there somewhere about listening closer to your pastor's words, but we'll save that for another day. Uh, so today is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all of our fathers out there. I'm a father myself. I've got three beautiful daughters uh, that I'm very proud of, and now I've actually got a, a granddaughter that's one year old. I prayed and thought this week about the best way uh, to honor fathers uh, as a father. I'm always learning, I'm always trying to be better, and I think that other fathers are doing that same thing. So I went to the scriptures to see what the Bible has to say about being a better father, and there wasn't a lot addressed specifically to fathers. If you've been following along in our reading plan that we got at the beginning of the year, uh, you'd know that we were in Proverbs last week. If you haven't spent much time in Proverbs, I'd encourage you to do that. There's a lot of wisdom in there about to be not only a better father, but how to be a better child. So, but if we look for scriptures that speak directly to fathers about raising children, uh, the prominent verses in the New Testament is the one that you just heard. Uh, Paul is talking to children and parents in Ephesians 6, 4 when he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the dis discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, there's a similar verse uh, in the letter to the Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 21. Paul's giving instructions for Christian families there, and he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. So he adds there, lest they be discouraged. So one commentary that I read shared a thought that I had also had while I was studying. You would think if the Apostle Paul wanted to give us a section on parenting, it may be a bit longer than that. He, you know, he may have shared just a few more details, right? But when I dug in, though, it turns out that these verses are much deeper than they appear. We know from what Pastor Shane has shared with us about how to study the Bible, uh, that we should understand the context and the scripture, uh, the context of the scripture as well as the audience. So here Paul is talking with the Christian church, and he's talking to Jewish believers and Gentile believers. The Jewish believers would have understood the Old Testament requirements for parenting from the Proverbs and the instructions that were given in Deuteronomy. Uh, it wouldn't have taken the Gentile believers long to understand this as well. They would have read Deuteronomy 6 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It goes on in verse 8 to say, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. They would have wanted to know these instructions because there existed in Paul's day some attitudes towards children uh, that were very, very abusive. In fact, there was a law in Rome called the Patria Potestis in Latin. In English, that means the father's power. You see, the father had unilateral and absolute power of life and death over his children. He had so much power over his children that he could sell any family member as a slave. He could make any or all of his family members work in the fields, even in chains. He could punish any family member with his own hands. He could even inflict the death penalty on a family member. And he had this right as long as he lived. So there was no age limit on the father's absolute control. When a child was born, they would bring the child to the father's feet and if the father stooped down to lift the child, that was an, a, a sign acknowledging that, the, that that child had the right to live. If he turned and he walked away, the child would be simply thrown away. Unwanted children were commonly left in the forum. They were collected at night for use as slaves. They stocked the prostitution houses of Rome, and they became human tools for slave owners. Children who were born sickly or deformed were often simply drowned. And that is the Mediterranean world of the New Testament era. So into that world comes the word of God, saying that children are to obey their parents in the Lord and they will be blessed because it is a command with a promise, the fifth commandment. And parents are to take seriously the responsibility of parenting and not ever provoke their children to anger and bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I share all this so that we understand that this was very counterculture at that time. So now let's look at the word fathers. Uh, patera is the word father, but it can be extended beyond father to mean parents, and it's used in that way in Hebrews 11, talking about the parents of Moses. But the father is a symbol of parental responsibility because he is the lead parent. So patera strongly uh, places him in the uh, leadership in the home, and we also understand that because it is consistently indicated throughout the scripture. If we go back to Proverbs 4, where the Bible says, Hear, O sons, father, a father's instruction. When I was a son with my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and he said to me. So the Proverbs also talk about the importance of the mother, but it's along with the father. The father is the one who is to take the lead. He's the one responsible for teaching the children. Fathers, we will be held accountable to God for that instruction and for giving knowledge and discretion to our children. So going back to what Pastor Shane has shared about how we are to study the Bible, something else that we look for are words that are repeated. One word that is repeated in both Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.21 is the word provoke. Merriam-Webster defines provoke as to stir up purposely or to incite to anger. It can also mean to frustrate or to exacerbate. Fathers, did you know that we can frustrate and exacerbate our children? If you're like me, you know it all too well. I mentioned earlier I've got three daughters, um, 
and each one's beautiful in her own way, and each one interacts with me differently. Uh, my oldest is my sometimes brutally honest child. I think every parent, every father ought to have at least one um, sometimes brutally honest child. They let us know clearly when we frustrate them. So the scriptures tell us not to do this, not to frustrate or exacerbate our children, especially to the point where they become discouraged or they lose heart. Fathers, what are some ways that we frustrate our children? What are some ways that we provoke them to anger? Uh, what are some ways that we discourage them? I mean, there's probably a few that come to your mind right now. So I'm going to talk to you for a minute um, as someone that's been a father for 27 years. Uh, while I was studying, I found quite a few examples of things that uh, we as fathers can do that really, really irritate our children. But for the sake of time, we're only going to talk about a few of them that resonated with me. The first one is overprotection. So I'm not a fan of the, the term uh, helicopter parent, but it's a good analogy. Uh, sometimes we hover over our children constantly. We don't trust them or give them the opportunity to develop independence or to make mistakes. It's hard, but we gotta take some risks. We, can we cannot deprive them of all freedom. That will frustrate a child, especially when they compare themselves to the freedoms that other children have. They will not read that as love. They will not read that as for their own benefit. They will read it uh, as abusive. So listen, our responsibility is to teach our children about God, to introduce them to God through the scriptures and through the gospel, but we are not to be God in their lives. Another way that we can frustrate our children is favoritism. There's a lot of examples in the scripture of favoritism. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. Rebekah favored Jacob over Esau. We all saw how that turned out. So oftentimes when I'm studying, I'm very convicted. And that's what the word of God for, is for, right? Reproof and instruction. So I've got a habit of joking around with, with my kids and calling Kristen my third pancake. Has anybody ever heard that analogy? You may have heard me say it. Um, if, if you've ever made pancakes, you know that the first pancake is always your practice pancake, right? The batter may be a little too runny. You might have to add a little more mix to, to make it right. And then the second one, you know, it gets a little better. It, uh, it maybe it's almost round, a little fluffier. So it gets a little better on that second one. Uh, but by the time you get to that third pancake, man, you got it down. It's, it's just right. It's round. It's fluffy. It tastes good. Everything's good. So, so favoritism, I, I laughed even thinking about it. Favoritism, even joking, is a bad thing in a family. Um, it'll cause the child to become angry and bitter if that child's not treated equally with the others. Uh, favoritism can cause deep hurt and frustration. We can also frustrate our children by pushing achievement, especially if it's unrealistic. We see this all the time. Uh, we can do it with grades. We can do it with sports. We can do it socially, wanting our children to be uh, popular by the world's standards. We can literally crush our children with the pressure to excel. Children will become bitter trying to live up to unrealistic and foolish expectations that we have. 
we should encourage our children to be the best that they are capable of being or we will provoke them to anger. Another way that we can provoke our children is discouragement. We don't reward them. We don't give them affection. We don't give them approval. Children desperately want approval. And guess who they want it from the most? Mom and dad. That's right. They want it from mom and dad. So we should look for real ways to reward and honor our children and to elevate them. Once again, we should always encourage them, not discourage them. Another way we can provoke our children to anger is by failing to sacrifice for them. I look at this more in the context of time because I view that as more important and valuable than physical things. When I give my time to my children, that sends a message to them that they are important to me. If we put our desires above those of our children, they will resent us. And then another obvious way that we can anger our children is to neglect them. A, ne a neglected child will be an angry child. Never, ever use the withdrawal of affection or the withdrawal of love to punish anyone, especially a child. And remember that lack of discipline is a form of neglect. Discipline, discipline comes in many forms, so we need to make sure that the punishment fits the crime, but sometimes it's going to be corporal. Spare the rod, you spoil the child. But this is a big one in the world today, neglecting children, neglecting to discipline them, neglecting to love them, neglecting to sacrifice for them. So the last example I'm going to share should be obvious, but it's bitter words. Bitter words or physical cruelty. Did you know that you have the power with your words to devastate your children? We can say things that they just can't match. We can crush them with bitter words and with cruelty. And this also applies to the way that we treat their mothers. More times than not, a son will learn how to love his wife by watching how we love his mother. And a daughter will learn how a husband should love her by watching how we love her mother. Those are just a few of the practical things that I came across in my studies this week. Fathers, we've got the responsibility to discipline our children in the context of love, but we cannot step over the line. We know that children are not naturally going to obey. This is implied in verses uh, 1 through 3 of Ephesians 6, where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. How do children know what is expected of them connected to the Lord unless parents give them that instruction? So we talked about the negative side. Now let's talk about the positive. Verse, uh, verse 4 says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. They won't get there on their own. That's why it's called raising children. How do we do that? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6. First, we recognize God as supreme. Then we love God. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Obey his word and teach by example. That's all in Deuteronomy 6. Next, we use life as a classroom. So my kids, when I do that, they call it Andy Griffith moments. Don't laugh. There's still a lot we can learn from Andy, right? And then leave reminders of God's word all over your house. I love when I go into someone's home and there's the word of God is everywhere. I remember when I was a kid, every house you went into, there was a Bible somewhere out invisible. 
And then on the wall somewhere was Joshua 24:15. As for me and my house, I will love the Lord. Maybe even a big shiny picture of the Ten Commandments. Y'all remember those, the ones with all the gold leaf on them? I mean, we had them in the school hallways at school. I remember that, so I'm, I'm that old. <laughs> uh, uh, you don't know the impact that that can have, not only on your child, but uh, on the friends who may not be exposed to spiritual things anywhere else. A child will remember that. Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 to 12, end by saying, warn them. Warn them about the evil around them in the world. Dads, that's our responsibility. So there's your uh, formula, fathers and mothers. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 12, recognize God as supreme, love God, obey his word, teach by example, use life as a classroom, leave reminders around stating divine priorities, and warn them about the world and its evils. Bring them up in that way. If we do this, we've done what we can do to invest in our children. Interesting, interesting thing, fathers, did you know that when you attend church, there's a 93% chance that everyone else in your household will too? It's true. That's the power that you have, dads, even in today's culture. So I'm going to close with this. One father summed it up much better than I could, and it really hit home with me. If I were starting my family over again, I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and at our joys. I would listen more, even to the smallest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending to be better. I would pray differently for my family. Rather than focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things together with my children. I would do more encouraging. I would bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to the little things, the deeds, the words of kindness, thankfulness. But mostly, said this father, I would love God more. Every day seeking to adore him in front of them. This is how spirit-filled parents raise their children. This is a goal for all of us. And dads, it's not too late, even if our children are older. So let's see what uh, some of our children had to say about their fathers. Have a funny day. Happy Father's Day, Dad, I love you. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, Dad, I love you. My dad taught me how to love others well. What I learned from my dad was how to follow Jesus and have a little humor in your life every day and bring some joy to people. Uh, happy Father's Day, Dad. I miss you every day. A couple of things I learned from my dad. Um, he was a great provider. He worked a lot. Um, he made sure we had what we needed and, and plus some things we wanted, but also the importance of family. He instilled in me the uh, importance of family, being together, uh, loving one another well. I learned so much from my father. I learned how to garden, how to follow the Lord, uh, so many different things, how to fish, how to hunt. But uh, in the end, one of the greatest lessons I learned from my father is uh, how to die 
as he got cancer um, and had a long protracted battle with cancer and just to watch him in the hospital share the gospel with every single nurse every single nurse every doctor who tended to him uh, share the gospel with him even when he was so weak he could barely speak and to encourage and love on all the people who came to visit him in the hospital and <clears throat> just to see how he suffered and did not make it about himself, but made it just about Christ and made it about the Lord. Uh, it was the greatest lesson of my life is just learning from my father uh, how to go to be with Jesus. My dad taught me everything I know about math. <laughs> my dad taught me a lot of theological questions, things that are useful. My dad taught me how important it is to be a student of the word, and he also taught me how to have a lot of fun in life. My dad taught me how to be independent, and he taught me things like how to change a tire and how to change my oil. My dad taught me how to be very competitive, uh, and he taught me how to love. My dad taught me to love the Lord, and he, he, he lived a life for us to follow. He was a, I don't know of another man that I could hold a candle to but my dad. And everybody respected him. His children respected him. And he was, he was what God meant for daddies to be. My dad always taught us to uh, do whatever it takes to provide for your family. Um, sometimes he'd work away from us in the military and then he would work uh, two or three jobs when he was home just so that we could go out on a Saturday night and go to a movie or something. He was always a good hard-working man. Daddy taught me that the greatest joy in life will be found in living my life unto the Lord. He loved his church, his family, and he had a heart of mercy for the least of these and that's what he poured his life into. I think he taught me the most by what he treasured. My dad taught me the importance of church. We Went to church every time the doors were open, we never missed, so I'm thankful for that. He also taught me how to work hard. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Go. My dad taught me to put others before myself. My dad taught me how to build relationships with others and how to love on people. Happy Father's Day, Dad. My dad taught me how to work hard and how to get joy from service. My dad has taught me how to serve in the church, but do it with a joyful heart. My dad, my dad taught me how to serve the Lord and how to love people. My father taught me how to love selflessly. Happy Father's Day, James. My dad has always instilled in me the importance of hard work and loving others. Love you, Pastor Dad. My father taught me how to love on others and share the gospel. My father has taught me how to change spark plugs. Happy Father's Day. My dad taught me how to work hard and not mind doing it. My dad has always taught me and my sisters the importance of hard work as well as the importance of thinking before speaking. So thank you, Dad. Love you. Dad has always taught me the importance of having a servant's heart and what a joy it is to serve other people. And he also always reminded me that the goal in life is to honor the Lord in everything I do. Love you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. My dad taught me how to be a hard worker. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Love you. My dad taught me how to see things in a biblical manner. My dad taught me there's a time and place for everything. Happy Father's Day, Dad. I love you. My dad taught me how to work hard. And he also taught me how to love well by the way he loved my mother. Yeah. Happy first Daddy and Papa. Thankful for you, Dad. Love you. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Love you. Happy Father's Day. We love you, Dad.
Some of you forgot I was coming up here when you thought we were almost finished. Um, man, what a great video, great reminder of what our dads can teach us. A lot of, a lot of great things were shared there. A lot of great dads were there, but none of those dads were perfect. A lot of great lessons for many believing fathers, but none of them was a perfect father. None of us will be perfect fathers, dads. If you have a, a father that's still living, he's not perfect. Um, many folks here may not have had a good example of a perfect father. Because none are, there are no perfect fathers. You may not have even had a good example of a good dad. Uh, but in Scripture, we do see uh, a good father. We're going to talk about God the Father as our father. But it is Father's Day, and I got breakfast this morning. Stacy made breakfast, one of my favorite breakfasts. There it is. Pop-tarts with butter. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. It's, seriously, it's one of my favorite breakfasts, and I, I'm appreciative of that. And so, so it's, a, it's a great Father's Day when you get Pop-Tarts with butter on it. Um, thank you, Chris. Um, great job pointing out our role as fathers, uh, pointing out good examples and also uh, areas for us to avoid. Uh, we all need to keep those in mind. Uh, the warnings and encouragements to strive to be a loving and effective father for our kids, we always need those reminders in our life. You, you mentioned uh, three pancakes I got five pancakes, but the difference is you get you kind of perfected it at three. It sounds like, but our kids are spread out, and so it's like we started with a new batch, and so I'm I'm a worse father now I think than I was previously. So I, I'm not, that doesn't continue I think for me, uh, but that's a, a great analogy. I appreciate that. Um, it's very likely that some of you here today didn't have a good example of a loving father. Um, maybe a father who didn't provide material needs, uh, maybe who wasn't there spiritually as gr when we were growing up. Uh, maybe you're a father now and you wish you had that in your life. You wish you had that example in, in, in your, as you're being raised uh, that you can emulate, but, but we do have an example as we go to the Scripture. We have God the Father as our example, as a loving Father. Um, praise the Lord. Um, we have that example of the Bible. We consider Him. Um, there aren't very many references in the Old Testament to God as, as Father. There are a few verses, maybe about four verses that I found, um, but oftentimes when God is referred to, he's referred to as the father of Abraham, or the father of, father of Isaac and Jacob. So he's referred to as the, uh, the God of their father, their forefathers, but he is referenced, referenced to as God. But we see in, in Isaiah... 63, that, that God is referred to by Isaiah as, as Father. Um, in a time of confession to the Lord over Israel's sin, um, uh, Isaiah called uh, the Lord our fathers. He recognized how Israel had sinned against the Lord, turning from the Lord in their, in their faith of Abraham, faith of their forefathers. Uh, they were essentially unrecognizable as the Lord's people because of, of their actions, how they've turned away from the Lord towards sin. Isaiah sixty three sixteen says, For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from old, our redeemer from of old is your name. So Isaiah is recognizing who the Lord is. He's the father of the nation. 
He's the Father because they are His people. He's called them out among, from the world to, to be their guide. And Isaiah is recognizing Him as Father, though they are not recognizable as the Lord's children at this time. And this, this point of sin, it's like even Abraham would recognize us. We're His descendants. We're not recognized as Israel because of our rebellion against the Lord. A few verses later in chapter 4, he calls the Lord Father again. He continues this prayer of confession for the nation. Um, about these verses, Gerald Bray uh, from the Gospel Coalition wrote this. God is addressed as Father, not because he is Israel's creator, but because he is Israel's redeemer, which reveals the nature and special relationship that God has with his chosen people. God's the Father of, of everyone. God's the creator of all. Not the Father of everyone. He's the creator of all. But he's only father of those who are his. He's only the father of those who are his children. Satan's the, the ruler of this world in contrast to God the Father who is the, the ruler over all. He's on a, on a chain, but those who are the Lord's are considered his children and God's considered the father for, for them. But for someone who doesn't know the Lord, someone who's in rebellion, someone who is still covered by the weight of their sin, God is not their father. God is in opposition to them. God is their enemy, and they are God's enemy. At one point, we were there. At one point, we were at enmity with God. But because of Christ, that, that separation has been done away with. Our sins have been covered, and now He is our Father. We an heir, we're an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ, and, and the Lord is our is our Father. Um, there's something special about being His chosen people in the Old Testament. Bring it to the New Testament, there's something special about being His children. We are His chosen people now, those whose faith is in Christ. Uh, though we don't see Him addressed as Father often in the Old Testament, we do see other references which compare Him to a Father. Uh, as, as Chris already referenced, Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8, we see Moses continuing a sermon before the the folks before Israel is about to go into the promised land. They've wandered for 40 years. Moses is giving them instructions again, giving them a sermon to, to remind them who the Lord is, to give them instructions, to, um, to teach them uh, who the Lord is. And he says in Deuteronomy 8, 5, Know then in your heart that as a man dis disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. As the man, man disciplines his son, the Lord disciplines you. He's, he's pictured as a father figure. He's pictured as one who loves his children, who desires what's best for his children, who is providing instruction. He's providing guidance. He's given his commands. That's what the Lord is doing for his people. He's given them commands. And those commands, David said, are not burdensome. It's a joy for us to, 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 to know God's commands and to live a life that, that follows those commands. We see the Lord actively involved in the lives of His people, disciplining them to teach them the truth of who He is and to guide them to live by His word and commands. Um, we see in Psalm 103, the psalmist calls to attention the compassion of the Lord. Psalm 103, uh, verse, starting verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him, for He knows our frame and He remembers that we are dust. Um, Showing compassion for his children. As a father shows compassion, he's caring. He, he is moved with love to act on his children's behalf. That's, that's a, a, heaven, um, a worldly father does that. But also father, our, our God our Father in heaven does that. Desiring what is best for them. We as 
earthly fathers can desire our kids to do well in school. We can desire them to do well in sports, desire them to do lots of good things. But sometimes our focus is, is off. Our, we're not focused on the most important things often. The Lord's focus is never off. God the Father is never um, distracted in what's important in his children's life. He always knows what's important. He always knows uh, what the, the key elements are that he is guiding his children to, to do and to be. Um, a father has compassion for his children, desiring what is best for them, yet also bearing with them in their difficulties. Our kids have difficult lives sometimes, and as fathers, we understand that because we've lived those lives as well. We desire them to, to progress through those difficulties and come out on the other end better than, uh, than, than they are now. So much more so does the Lord have that understanding in our lives as, as the good heavenly Father. He knows our frame, it says. He knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. We may be disappointed in our children because they've done something that we thought, man, I can't believe that my son did that or my child did that. The Lord is not surprised at our failures. He's not surprised at His children's failures. He's not surprised whenever we sin. He's not surprised whenever we don't achieve this certain level we thought we were going to. We're surprised sometimes. So we can surprise ourselves at our own ability to sin. But the Lord knows that without Him, we would just live in sin continually. He has provided grace in Christ and He knows our frame. He knows the imperfections that we have. He knows the difficulties that we deal with daily. Amen. He knows our fears. He knows where pride gets in the way. But He loves us and He has compassion because He's our Father. The Lord is compared to His Father when it comes to compassion, but is indicating that the Lord is completely aware of what makes us up, our weaknesses and our frailty. Where a father may expect his child will not disappoint him in some area, the Lord fully knows and is never surprised by our failures. In the midst of those, He is compassionate and loving. As fathers, we fail that, at that point often. Uh, but we can take an example from Christ, from, from the Lord that He is compassionate and loving as we go through those things. When we think about the world's view of compassionate and being loving, it means that you never tell someone they're wrong. See that in the, in the news today, in the, the culture today. If you tell somebody they're wrong, you, you're not accepting, you're not loving, uh, you're promoting hate. Um, that you support them in whatever idea they have. Even if, and if you disagree, then you're full of hate and tolerance, not compassion and love. That's the world's view of love, is accept everything. But that's not the biblical view. Biblical view is that there's truth, and we stand by this truth. Whether you think it's a good idea or not doesn't really matter. It doesn't align with Scripture. There's right and wrong. And that's, that's where the Lord comes. His perspective it, it comes in our life. When it comes to Scripture, we know that the way of the world views things is skewed. And very often the opposite of the truth. The loving thing to do when it comes to errant thinking is to speak the truth in love, to correct or to reprove wrong thinking and behavior. This is what actually demonstrates love. We see the Lord behaves this way for those he loves as a father with his children. See our child making a mistake, seeing them going in a direction that's unhealthy, that's sinful. We call attention to that because we want to, to correct them. We want their 
their end to be better, not worse, because of this bad decision. The Lord is so much more better at that than we are. He knows where that sin leads. Ultimately, He's taking care of that for those who are His children. Uh, but it's, it's, He's such a better Father than we are. And that's, that's a good thing, really, because that's a, that's a goal we have, right? We want to be good dads, but if we don't have a goal to, to reach to, if we don't have a standard to go toward, we'll just be kind of fumbling around where we're, wherever we are and, and being lost ourselves. So we, we take the Lord's example in the Scripture, we take Scripture, and we, that is our goal. That's our, that mark we're shooting for to, to love our kids that way. Uh, we see the Lord behaves this way for those he loves as a father would for his children. When the Lord reproves us, he disciplines us, it's always done in love, and we should take comfort in that. And this is the truth we see in Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. His discipline is not out of anger for those who are his. He knows we're going to sin. He knows that those things are welling up in our life. He's provided a way out. But he's also provided the sacrifice to cover those things. Doesn't excuse our sin. Doesn't excuse us in, in rejecting the Lord's authority, rejecting His, his commands. Uh, but he has already provided a way. Um, as a loving father, he, he's not angry with us because of that. That anger is still there, but it's reserved for those who are not his children. We are his children. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves, whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. A correction is a loving thing. A, a speaking into your child's life and giving them guidance and giving them direction is not a thing that, that should be offensive. Even we as, as older dads can be offended by, by guidance from someone else. But it's, it's the, the Lord uses these instructions from Scripture to, to guide us into His will, to help us to, to, to call attention in our lives and things that we may be missing. Uh, but we see that the Lord is perfect in that. His scripture addresses those things. Uh, that's part of our calling, though. We need to know what the scripture says to be able to, um, to be reproved by his word. So even though he's not addressed by, as father often, um, the understanding we have from scripture demonstrates that he fulfills that role in the lives of those who are his. <coughs> in the Old Testament, not often. But when we get to the New Testament, it's a common thing. As we come to the New Testament, we see God as Father often, and the relationship between Father and His children is a special relationship with special privileges and access to the Father. First of all, we see the relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father. We see this Jesus the Son, God the Son, and we see God the Father. We see approval of God at Jesus' baptism, at the transfiguration. We see the Lord approving and testifying of who Christ is. This is... This is a, a beautiful picture we see in Scripture. As Isaiah recognized God as the Father of His chosen people, Israel, in the Old Testament, because He redeemed them from slavery, we see this also in the New Testament, but in a better and more complete manner in Christ as He pays the debt on our behalf. Israel was redeemed from, uh, from Egypt. The slaves were brought out. God, God redeemed them out of slavery. We in the New Testament, starting, starting in biblical times, we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We've been purchased 
brought out of that slavery. We're not a slave to sin anymore. We're not a slave to the acts of sin. We're not a slave to the debt of sin. All those things have been paid for. Christ has, has paid for those. Those things have been covered and, and we've been redeemed. So this relationship that we have is a greater picture of uh, we see in Christ than even what we see in the Old Testament. Um, no longer a slave to sin, but a child of God the Father. Galatians 4, uh, 4 through 7 gives us, it brings us up to the New Testament and, and what God has, has done with Christ. But when the fullness of time had come, what does that indicate? God's sovereignty over all things. His, he's outside of time, but time works on His schedule. He's sovereign over all things. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into the, your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. So at one point, slaves considered servants, but now we're, we're sons, sons of the Father, an heir, joint heir with Christ, an heir to everything the Lord has. So the Lord's relationship with us now is different. Either this morning or last night, Stacy said, uh, right, Jane said something, said daddy. And she said, I love that term. Abba Father, Daddy. When, when the girls look at me, I'm bigger than them. So there, there's, a, there's a, some fear there. I'm not a mean guy, so not a, probably not as much fear as should be there. Um, but there's, there's a love that I feel when I'm called daddy, even from Adriana. She's older now, got a husband. She's got her own family. But that is, that love and that, that role is still precious and tender. We see God the Father referred to that way as Daddy. Someone we, we trust, we, we come to. What is a joy in a father's life is, is when your child does something wrong and they come and confess that to you. Man, you want, you want that tenderness to, to be given back to them because they've confessed something. They, you, want, you don't want to bash them because of that. What do you want to do? You want to be compassionate. You want to be loving and kind because you're, you're joyful in how they've recognized that sin. You're joyful at how their, their heart is moving toward the Lord in that aspect. That's, a, that's an earthly father, a Christian father, but an earthly father who wants to do what pleases the Lord. But... What am I? I'm a sinner. I'm not a perfect father. If I find joy in that, if you find joy in that when your kids come to you that way, how much more does the Lord find joy in us coming to Him as, as His children to confess our sins? The perfect father. We do this weekly. We come up here when there's a time of confession. It's not a time to hide things. It's not a time to... Um, to, to act like we got it together is a time for confession. It's a time for us to, to come to the Lord and honor Him. He already knows. He already knows these things. But it, it, it's a joyful thing as a, for a, 
earthly father to, for his children to do that. I believe it's a joyful thing for the Lord to do that as well. He wants to, to grant that relief from the burden of the sin that we feel. Amen. And we've seen, we've read texts that, that deal with that as well. Um, so we're an heir to God. He's, he's given us his spirit. Um, um, the last text I'm going to go over is, is something that's probably familiar to us. Uh, in Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer where he addresses <coughs> God our Father. He gives an example of a son asking his father for something good and needed. Uh, and the absurdity of the earthly father who is evil and sinful to give him something bad and harmful. They're saying the earthly father is not going to give him a, a serpent or a rock when he's asking for a fish and an uh, egg. He's going to give him something good. He's asking for something good. He's going to give him something good. He's not going to give him something that's evil. Um, so if an earthly father who is evil, Jesus said, will do the, try to give something good, how much more so does God, the father who is, who is not evil, who is perfect? In a greater manner, God the father will give his spirit to those who come to him. Not just food for the day. Not just... Um, material things to make your life easier as you're going about your life until he comes back to, to, to take us to heaven with him. The Lord provides our needs, but that's not the best thing he provides. He's provided forgiveness of our sins, and he indwells within us. He's given us his spirit. What else? What else could he give? What more could he give than himself? That's it. Luke 11, 9-13. What father among you, if he asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Not just good things, but the Spirit. When we repent of our sins putting our faith in Christ and what He has done on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection, the Spirit is given to us and we are, we're redeemed, our sins are paid for, and we're a new creation. And the Lord lives within us. He's given us His Holy Spirit. We have communion with the Lord. Jesus is continually praying for us. He's, standing, he's at the Father's right hand and he's, he's interceding for us. And we have a we have been blessed beyond measure. And I think as the author of Hebrews says, how can we neglect so great a salvation? This is the Lord's providence because he's a loving father. So we see that God is, is the best example of a father. There is no sin in him, unlike us. There is no evil intent. He only does what is right and good. It comes down to this, however. Is he your father? Not do you attend church? Not uh, do you know you know that God exists? You believe that? But is he your father? Not just someone that is a father of someone else you know, but he's your father. He is God the Father, but he is only a father to those who have repented of their sins and accepted his testimony of who his son Jesus is, and thereby putting their faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross his death, burial, and resurrection. If you haven't turned from your sins and put your faith in Christ, then he's not your father. 
if you haven't repented and put your faith in Christ, He's not your Father. There's That weight of sin is still on you. That judgment is still waiting to be administered. But for those of us who are in Christ, He's our Father. That sin has been taken, taken care of all at the cross. For all who would, in the Old Testament who were looking forward to Messiah, to up till now, to us who look back at, at Christ, that sin is paid for at the cross. And for those who will believe after today, all that's been covered. But there's a mound, a high mound of sin weighting down on those whose faith is not in Christ. He can be your father. You can be adopted into the family of God. He's a good father. And by repenting and trusting Christ, that will bring him glory. Not just forgiveness of your sins. That's great. We need that. That's, that's our greatest need individually. But beyond that, the best thing about that is this brings him glory. Being a child of God, we bring Christ glory because he has redeemed us. He has paid that debt for us. And that should be a focus of our life. Too often we forget that. Too often I forget that. That I have an opportunity to, to bring in glory in this situation. How am I handling it? That's an opportunity we all have um, as believers. Ultimately, for those who are not believers, He will be glorified one day in judgment. And that's a scary thing to even say. But that's the truth, that He will be glorified in judgment. Um, but our prayers, believers, that those who are here who don't know Christ, today is the day that you see Christ for who He is. That He's the Savior. And He has a wonderful Father. God the Father, and He can be your Father as well. So today, I ask you, repent and believe. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are. We thank you for Father's Day and the, the example we try to, to live to, to bring our kids to you, Father, to be an example to others. But Lord, we know that we fail miserably at this. Um, but Lord, we know that you are a perfect Father and you've, you've given us grace. You know our failings. You know our weaknesses. But Lord, you give us grace and you're compassionate. So Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for providing Christ and taking care of our sin, Lord, and um, the promise and the hope that we have that one day we'll be with you in heaven. We thank you and we give you glory for that. Christ, and we pray. Amen. Thank you. We're dismissed. <laughs>